Hello and welcome to the very first episode of Granite Justice, navigating civil legal issues in your daily life. I'm Shane Cooper, an associate dean here at the University of New Hampshire, Franklin Pierce School of Law, and I'll be your host. Please remember as you listen, this podcast is for informational purposes only. Nothing said here by either party constitutes legal advice of any kind or creates any attorney-client relationship between a listener and New Hampshire Legal Assistance or 603 Legal Aid or the UNH Franklin Pierce School of Law. It is possible that the law has changed after we recorded this podcast episode where the information shared does not exactly fit with your specific situation. For the most up-to-date information or to get legal help, please visit 603legalaid.org. And we're ready to get started with our very first guest. Steve McGilvery is a paralegal at 603 Legal Aid and has been assisting low-income tenants with housing concerns for 23 years. Steve, it's an honor to have you here as our inaugural guest for the show. It's really nice to meet you. Well, I'm very pleased to be here. Thanks for having me. So Steve, uh, before we get started on the topic that we've chosen, can you tell me a little bit about why you've dedicated your career into this type of work? Sure. Well, I, I like helping the underdog. Housing, as we all know, is very important. And if I can help somebody who has a housing problem, they don't know how to fix it themselves, they can't afford to hire somebody to help them fix it, I'm more than happy to jump in and try to help them get a good outcome. Well, that's great. And I think that's a wonderful opportunity for today's podcast so that we can help those out there that have questions about uh, housing law and have dealt with various situations uh, in a tenant situation. And so we're here today, I think, to speak uh, very specifically about one piece of housing law, which I'm sure will branch into other topics. And it's colloquially known in New Hampshire as a 540A petition. So Steve, could you explain why someone would file a 540A petition and what sort of problems that something like that could address? Sure. Well, let me start at the beginning. Good place to start. We have a law in New Hampshire. It's RSA 540A, 540-A as an apple, talks to the duties, obligations that landlords and tenants would owe each other. 540A tells landlords that they are prohibited from taking certain actions like locking a tenant out unlawfully without first getting permission from a judge, terminating a tenant's utilities, uh, maybe seizing a tenant's personal property. So whenever something like that happens, when a landlord has violated 540A, if a tenant wants to seek a remedy to stop that harm, well, they can go to their local district court and they can ask the clerk to give them a 540A petition. Very helpful. So just to make sure I have that correct, if I'm a tenant out there listening in and I've got a landlord that I happen to show up to my apartment, I'm locked out, and I think it's because they're trying to evict me or my electricity has been shut off for what, for some without notice or people have taken my stuff. Essentially, that, that's what you're telling me. Like one of the first things I should be thinking about is that there's this law out there that protect me. Yes. I mean, if you have, say, an unlawful lockout, a utility termination, it, it's a good idea to contact your landlord first, you know, make sure that it's just not some sort of mistake. But if your landlord is ignoring you or... Perhaps your landlord is aware. Maybe your landlord's trying to punish you for some reason. When you know that your landlord is aware of the issue, the landlord's not doing anything to fix the issue, then yes, you can go to your local district court and you can seek to remedy that 540A violation by getting the petition. That's how you'd get started. Got it. And that actually brings me to my next question because now that I know that there's this thing called the 540A, I have to confess that that would 
be a little, at least, uh, I think, a challenge to think, well, how do I do this? So could you describe briefly what is the process for filing a 548 petition? What does that look like for someone in this position? Sure. I mean, anybody out there wondering about a 548 petition, what it looks like, first of all, you can do a Google search online. Uh, Just type in New Hampshire RSA 540-A. You'll get the court's website, and that will show you the 548 petition. But if you just walked into a district court, you would tell the clerk, I would like a 548 petition. Let me just point out it's free. It doesn't cost anything for a tenant to file it. And what the tenant would be looking at is a four-page petition. And on the first page, up at the top, there'll be lines provided where the tenant writes in their name as the plaintiff versus the landlord's name as the defendant. There are some questions, and I believe there are seven questions, on the first page that a tenant would have to provide answers for. Now, the rest of the petition, it consists of a long list of claims, 548 claims. They're already printed with a box in front of each claim. And then after the claims, there's a list of orders that you can seek from the court. And there's a box next to each order. So if you were unlawfully locked out, you would look for the claim that says, my landlord denied me access to the premises I rent. You'd check that box. And then you'd go to, I believe it's the third page where the orders begin. And you'd check the box next to the order that says, order the landlord to allow me immediate access to the premises I rent. This is very straightforward. I know when people hear statutes, RSAs, if they're not familiar with the RSAs, they freeze up. But the petition was constructed to be as straightforward as possible so that literally any tenant off the street into the district court with a 540A violation should be able to easily come to grips with this petition and fill it out and start getting relief. That's really helpful. And as you mentioned, then it's free for the tenant to file this petition. Is that correct? That's correct. Yes, it's cost free. And I imagine if I'm standing there in the district courthouse and I pull this 548 petition from the clerk, do you have any recommended steps that the tenant should take before they file out the petition? Is that something you do right there in the courthouse or is it something you want to talk to somebody about? What would you suggest in those sort of cases? Well, I think it's important to point out, if everything goes according to plan, law enforcement will be serving your landlord, where your landlord lives or where he works. There's a property management company. So before you go to the court, make sure you have your landlord's physical address so you can write that on the petition. But when you get the petition from the clerk, I mean, my advice would be, as I often tell folks, you know, just go to a quiet area in the court and don't rush yourself. Just read the petition over carefully, you know, read the claims, any claims that match the harm that you've experienced, those are the boxes you check. And then take your time with the orders, you know, read over each order and check the box next to the order that you think you need to get out of this bad situation. And then you go back and you give the petition to the clerk. Now, once you give the petition to the clerk, the court sees these petitions as representing emergency situations. So ideally, the way it works, once you give the petition to the clerk, is that the clerk will oftentimes ask you to sit tight in the courthouse. And then the clerk will go and bring this petition to a judge for the judge to review it immediately. If the judge is not available in that courthouse, then the clerk will typically send that petition, they'll scan it and email it or fax it, to a judge at another court in New Hampshire. But they'll get a judge to review this petition and, you know, to either grant it or deny it. 
Like if you were to check off, you were unlawfully locked out by your landlord, you want an order to get right back in that orders your landlord to let you right back in, that petition almost certainly would be granted. And then the clerk will give you all the 548 paperwork, including the order, the temporary order, and then the clerk will instruct you to go to law enforcement, either the police department where your landlord lives or the county sheriff's office, the county in which your landlord lives. And then that law enforcement agency, nine times out of ten, it's the county sheriff's office, will then make service on your landlord. And just to also point out, the court will pay or should pay the sheriff's service fee. So this literally it costs nothing to the tenant. That is really interesting. I have to confess that when you described this process to me, I had imagined that I'd go into the courthouse, I'd file a piece of paper, and I'd have to wait like a month. And what you're telling me then is if you're, let's say, locked out and it's that day that happened and you obviously have no place to go, if you can file this 548 petition and if you're successful, or what you're telling me is a judge will look at that pretty much right away, is that, that's, it almost sounds too good to be true, but that's the experience here. Yeah, no, I know it does sound almost too good to be true, but I'm happy to say I've, I've talked to many unfortunate folks, been locked out, had utilities terminated. If they filed early enough in the day and they get the judge's order, they bring it to the county sheriff's office. You know, and the sheriff's offices around the, the state, I mean, they, they understand what's going on. You know, they know, too, this is an emergency situation. You get locked out in New Hampshire in January, you could freeze to death. So they do all that they can do, the sheriff's office, to make service right away. And once the landlord is served with that court order, ordering him to let the tenant back in immediately, there's no lag time. I mean, you're supposed to come into compliance with the judge's order immediately. And I've talked to folks in the past who have been locked out. They filed this, you know, early in the day, maybe noontime, and they're back in their apartment several hours later. Wow, that's great to hear. And so I imagine, though, as I'm getting ready to file this, you mentioned knowing the landlord's physical address. I, I presume that's for service. And, and I obviously would think you would lay out your own address or where you were locked out. But what other information or evidence would you suggest someone bring to the court to support as they fill out this petition? Well, as far as filling out the petition is concerned, you're, not, you're, you're almost certainly not going to speak to a judge or have the opportunity to present evidence to a judge when you're filing the petition. You know, you're seeking temporary orders. These temporary orders are meant to, you know, just kind of, you know, take you out of harm's way, keep the status quo until we get into a hearing where the judge at the final hearing will see evidence. That's when you want to be you know, thinking about, you know, what do I bring to the courtroom, to the hearing, that's going to help me prove my claim. This goes back to what I mentioned earlier. If you experience a 548 violation, you know, let's say you know, your water has been terminated, contact your landlord first. And if you can, a lot of landlords and tenants these days, they communicate through text messaging. Text your landlord. You've got that in writing. You know, Mr. Landlord, my water, it's not on. I turn the faucet, nothing comes out. What's going on? Do you know about this? You know, sometimes it's a mistake. Maybe landlord had a plumber down there to fix something. Plumber forgot to turn the water back on when the job was done. You know, if you contact the landlord, and it is an honest mistake, landlord will make sure the water is restored immediately. But if the landlord, for some reason, you know, is a bad actor, and meant for the water to be terminated, he's you know, punishing the tenant for some reason. Well, you know, if the landlord responds by saying, well, look, I told you if you didn't do this, you know, this was going to happen. 
Well, now you've got evidence to present to the judge at the final hearing showing that the landlord's intent is willful, which is what you have to show in order to win penalties and actual damages at the hearing. Well, that you, you raise a great point. I want to think through the landlord side of this. I'm hoping that there are probably landlords that might be listening to, to this message as well. And as you mentioned, sometimes there's just honest mistakes, and it's good to know that there's this process there to sort of keep things in check. Could you speak to what consequences, if any, are there for landlords that are found in violation of these 540A issues? Are there any consequences to it besides just unlocking the apartment that they were locking a person out of? Well, there, there are some pretty severe penalties. You know, again, we're talking about, you know, real egregious situations, a, a tenant being locked out. Could be a tenant who's locked out of an apartment where their medications are. Uh, maybe they have a nebulizer in there. So, you know, this could be life-threatening. Uh, not just being made uncomfortable, but life-threatening. So if a tenant can prove at the hearing to the judge's satisfaction that the landlord knew darn well that his actions or inactions would result in the tenant being unlawfully locked out, then the tenant could win a penalty of at least $1,000 for the 540A violation. And it goes up from there. And incredibly, I do speak to tenants who file these petitions. They get orders served on their landlords. The judge orders the landlord to take action, you know, maybe let the tenant back in immediately. And for some reason, the landlord does not come into compliance with the judge's order. And if the judge hears this at the hearing, then the penalties can go up to $1,000 a day. For each day, the violation continued after law enforcement served the judge's order on the landlord. So, you know, this is meant to hurt landlords in the pocketbook so that they don't do these awful things in the future. Yeah, that is an eye-opener, 1000 a day. So, you know, for those landlords out there listening, I know typically there's good faith out there, but we know that if you take a shortcut or you're acting willfully in a really bad way, that's a pretty significant consequence. I agree. I mean, I don't think most landlords out there would, would do this, not because of the penalties, but because they know this is just not the way you run your business, not the way you treat your, your tenant. But unfortunately, there's a small number of landlords out there, you know, who do these things to tenants. And we talk to these tenants, you know, each year. And I, I spoke to a tenant just a few weeks ago. I won't say in what area of the state or what district court this took place, but the tenant won a $13,000 money judgment because the landlord had turned off the utilities. Uh, the tenant was facing eviction, and the tenant didn't leave by the time the eviction notice had expired, and the tenant wasn't obligated legally to leave when the notice had expired. But the landlord was impatient, and so to hasten the tenant's departure, the landlord turned off the utilities and figured, you know, he'd perform a self-help eviction, which is a big no-no in New Hampshire. And so the tenant had the landlord served with the temporary orders to restore the electricity, and the landlord didn't. And days went by, and when the hearing finally took place and the judge learned this, it was $1,000 for the initial violation and $1,000 a day for each day that landlord ignored the judge's order after the sheriff served the landlord with it. So, you know, judges take these things seriously and, you know, they routinely award huge penalties when landlords are not following 540A. And let me get that right. That penalty in that case was actually paid to the tenant as part of damages rather than a penalty that's paid to the state in that situation? Correct. It's not a fine to the state. It's a penalty that the tenant will receive. Interesting. Well, thanks for sharing that. That makes it more real, right? When you have a real example you can speak to. So thank you for that. 
let me now turn the conversation briefly back on the tenant for a moment as they're going through this process. What would be the perhaps the largest mistake or common mistake that you would warn tenants about who are trying to go through this 548 process? That's a good question. And I mean, what comes to mind is rent withholding. A lot of times I speak to somebody who's asking for help with an eviction. The landlord may have violated 540A. Let me give you an example, like this actually happened, where a tenant and a landlord were having a dispute. The tenant was a mason, and he had all of his tools in a shed that was on the property. And I guess he and the landlord get into an argument over the price of the work the tenant had done. So the landlord had locked up the tool shed, and the tenant could not get to his masonry equipment. And so the tenant didn't know how to handle the situation, how to force the landlord to give him access to his personal property. All he could think to do was to withhold the rent. And we do have a rent withholding statute in New Hampshire, but it's risky. And I guess what every tenant out there in New Hampshire ought to know if they're ever contemplating rent withholding is that there's never a guarantee that when you go in front of the judge on the defensive in a non-payment eviction case, that you'll defeat that case. You, you could lose and you could become homeless at some point. So this tenant here, you know, he was suffering a 540A violation, seizure of his personal property, and he withheld rent. And when I told him that doesn't even lend itself to rent withholding, it's got to be over a code violation. What your landlord did was wrong, but it's not a code violation. If you continue withholding your rent and go into court for eviction, you'll most likely lose. The tenant was frustrated, but, you know, I advised him, pay your rent. You know, don't serve yourself up on a silver platter for eviction. Instead, consider filing a 548 petition. He did, and he got his order, and the landlord complied with the judge's order, and he got his equipment back. And he did not face eviction for non-payment of rent. So that's what I see a lot. I see a lot of tenants who may have a problem that could be resolved fairly quickly with a 548 petition where they're on the offensive, but they withhold rent and they get into trouble. That is really an interesting point. And, and, and fair to say, before I walked into this conversation earlier, and now I know a lot about 548, I think one of my natural instincts might be to say, well, okay, I'm going to hold my money then. And I think what I'm hearing from you, Steve, is that that should be a really rare option, probably with a lot of advice and that the basically, which I think you're saying, but please correct me if I'm wrong, is, is to keep paying that rent Use the 540A while you've paid the rent so you can maintain yourself in a good place. But much like a, a landlord might be taking a self-help route, what I think I'm hearing is if you withhold rent, that could be a potential problem for the tenant. Yeah, no, you're spot on. Uh, rent withholding, as I believe I mentioned earlier, it, it's not unlawful to withhold rent. We do have a rent withholding statute, but it has lots of elements to that statute or conditions the tenant must satisfy, and it's very easy to screw it up. And if you withhold rent, you know, you're putting yourself on the defensive, and it's probably not going to get the problem fixed. You know, you're just going to be going to court for eviction. So my advice would be, or my hope would be, I'm not here to give advice to people, but my hope would be if anybody is contemplating rent withholding, that they call a place like this first and try to get more information on rent withholding before you do it or you know things might get beyond you and you'll get in trouble well that's a great segue to my one of my final questions of steven you know a lot of the people who call 603 legal aid will end up filing their motions and most likely representing themselves without an attorney but 
If someone feels like that's more than they can handle, what options are there to get legal help in cases like this? Yeah, well, all of our clients, are, they're low, moderate income folks in order to be found eligible for our free legal services. And some of our folks, they have problems uh, going to court representing themselves. They'll oftentimes say on the phone, I, I can't do that. I can't speak to the judge. And, you know, we tell them that while they don't have the money to afford to hire an attorney, they can try to shop their 548 claim around to private attorneys. The way 548 is written, if an attorney decides to take on your case on what's called a contingency fee basis, the attorney only gets paid contingent upon successfully litigating that case. So there's no out-of-pocket expense to the tenant. If the attorney hears the tenant out, gets the facts, believes the tenant has a strong 548 claim, the attorney then can represent that person and if the attorney wins, the attorney will transfer the attorney's fees onto the losing side, the landlord. So if the attorney doesn't win the case, the tenant doesn't pay. If the attorney wins the case, the attorney transfers his or her fees onto the landlord and the landlord pays. And that's a way a tenant could try to get uh, direct representation in a case. Thanks for sharing that as an option as well. So, Steve, I want to thank you. That was a lot of great information. And before we close, I just want to acknowledge and thank you for your years of public service. If I have it right, you've been doing this for 23 plus years. And what an important area of, of work that you and the service you provide here to the citizens of New Hampshire. So I just want to thank you very much for all of that hard work. Well, thank you very much. I work with great people and I, I am very, very happy doing this work. I feel very good every day when I finish up. Well, that's uh, definitely doesn't sound like work then. It sounds like a definitely a great vocation. Well, thanks again, Steve. That was a lot of great information. And again, for anyone that needs more detail or to apply for individual legal aid services, you can visit 603legalaid.org. That is 603legalaid.org. Thanks again. Thank you, Shane. It was a pleasure. Thanks for having me. This was Granite Justice, a podcast collaboration of the UNH Franklin Pierce School of Law, 603 Legal Aid, New Hampshire Legal Assistance, the New Hampshire Campaign Legal Services, and the Granite State News Collaborative. Thanks for your time.